Hello everybody, I'm your host Hal Curtis and I'd like to welcome you to The Space Industry by Satsearch, where we share stories about the companies taking us into orbit. In this podcast, we delve into the opinions and expertise of the people behind the commercial space organisations of today who could become the household names of tomorrow. Before we get started with the episode, remember you can find out more information about the suppliers, products and innovations that are mentioned in this discussion on the global marketplace for space at satsearch.com. Hello everyone and welcome. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Giovanni Pandolfi Bortoletto, Chief Strategy Officer at LeafSpace. LeafSpace is a European ground station operator that runs a network of sites around the world offering ground segment as a service to satellite companies. LeafSpace is also a SatSearch membership company. Today, we're going to find out a bit more about LeafSpace and talk a little bit about how an effective ground segment can improve the services offered by new space companies so that we can help space engineers around the world better evaluate the ground options available for their missions. So firstly, Giovanni, thank you very much for being here today. And is there anything you'd like to add to that introduction? No, thanks, Simon. It's really good to be, to be here. I'm really glad that you know, we are doing this podcast with SatSearch. It's, it's really good. Nothing more introduction on our side, just that we, we try to be an innovative consumer as a service provider and try to support all our customers around the world with different missions. To begin with a sort of an overview of the ground station operations, traditionally, ground station operators have taken advantage of the poles on the planet to, to offer tracking services with antennas for what's called you know, spacecraft telemetry tracking and command, or TT&C. The launches were mostly governmental, with TTNC owned by the spaceports that were run by the governments. How has this changed in recent years due to the growth of the new space sector? Well, it changed a lot. I believe that the most <laughs> the main reason for for this change is basically a quite a big difference in timeline and budgets of projects. So you know, before there were long timeline projects, so 10, 15, 20 years for the overall life of a, of a satellite project. And so there was a lot of time to build the uh, the ground infrastructure to support that that mission, and, and also the budget allocated was quite quite high. So there were no other no reason basically you know to to use uh, another ground segment for for the same mission, etc. Also because typically it was really really uh, specifically designed over the overall mission, the satellite mission. And right now, this has changed quite a bit because of the the times of the satellite mission for new space. If we talk about CubeSat and small sats in general, it's really really shorter. So we talk about you know maybe one year actually to to develop a satellite, and then two three years, maybe five years for the longest one of operation. So it's really really reduced and. If you compare it with a time scale of building ground infrastructure, that's not enough, I would say, to build up uh, an infrastructure that is useful and, and has a lot of capacity where that is basically what this kind of mission wants. And also on the budget side, it doesn't make sense at all right now for a mission so short, let me say, to build up uh, the, ground, the ground infrastructure from, uh, from zero, from scratch because there's not so much budget for that. So these have changed quite a lot, the, the actual models, and, and we are seeing these not only on the ground segment, but also you know, on the uh, mission as a service provider, for example, or operations as a service providers. So where you can make use of, the, of an already existing infrastructure processes and guidelines to support different missions at the same time with the same infrastructure, or at least with the same kind of 
of process. And this is true for, for TTNC, definitely. And in the last years, we've seen much more of a, of a shift there, also for, for big constellations. Uh, and is uh, is coming to also for for spaceport. So you, s- you see that there are a lot of initiatives around the world with new spaceport for the support of uh, small long- launch vehicle launches, so ju- also vertical and horizontals. We are also trying to to support that kind of uh, of market with our launch vehicle tracking as a service solution, where we basically partner. With, with space or with commercial spaceports to provide also that kind of service to our customers. Lower budget, shorter timelines, great flexibility, as you say, all driving new developments in the industry. And interesting that it's being seen both in terms of adapting existing infrastructure and the development of new infrastructure. And then you mentioned the the sort of more innovative new launch sites cropping up, which we we've seen uh, you know across the world, a number of different geographies, um, and also driven by a number of new new space launch vehicle operators coming to the market. In those instances, is telemetry and tracking typically offered as part of the spaceport, where, as you mentioned, companies like Leaf Space are partnering with the spaceports itself? Or do you see that there's specific demand for ground services coming from the launch vehicle operators themselves, as opposed to the spaceport? Yeah, so we're seeing quite a, a growing demand for that. Uh, I believe that basically it was for the well, for the same reasons that we have seen the in the satellite. Uh, segment, but basically, I, I believe that small launch vehicle operators they have uh, find out that it's difficult to get access to worldwide distributed ground stations and get access to them specifically when they want it. Also, because typically the launch the launch campaign window is quite is quite long, at least for the first launches and testing. Okay, then of course when you grow in operation, it gets more and more strict to the timeline and, and efficient. But at the start, it's really complicated. And yeah, so basically the TTNC was typically provided by the spaceport, not really as a, maybe as a service, but just in terms of, you know, of availability of hardware. And then the actual operation of that hardware was in charge of the actual launch vehicle operator, okay, for their TTNC. There is also a part that is the flight termination system that is typically handled by the by the range officer just to you know uh, shut down or make it explode <laughs> a launch vehicle when it goes out of, of trajectory too much right now we're seeing a, a shift uh, to that and that's why also we try to to enter to enter in this uh, in this new market of the launch vehicles because they have two different needs. One is for have um, telemetry reception support and redundant typical telemetry reception support in the first phase of the launch. So from uh, actual lift off to maybe the, the main engine cut off or the second engine ignition. And then they need support worldwide to for other critical phases of the launch. So for example, second engine cut off, circularization of the orbit or deployment. And for that, there are two possibilities, or you have you own your own network, of course, specifically located around the world, or you rely on uh, ground segmented service providers. But of course, it's a, it's a little bit different from the satellite, from the operational point of view, not not so much on the you know frequencies, modulation schemes, etc. But really, on the operation, it's a little bit different. And what we have seen is also that a single launch vehicle provider doesn't want to launch from a single location. They want to launch from different locations to address maybe some 
market uh, issues or some regulation issues or in general availability to launch in different orbits. And so this also comes with a with a, another demand that is really to have it flexible and can, can that can support different orbits with different timelines, etc. So it's just getting back to the to the first point that we discussed for the other for the other question. It's really difficult to build up such an infrastructure just for one operator, just for your purposes. And this is not typically the the will of the uh, the launch vehicle, or at least the small launch vehicle operators. And I think a lot of what this is leading to or what's supporting is the idea of increasing volume in the in the space sector. Now, which we've obviously seen with the launches of, of satellites. I mean, you know, a decade ago the idea of launching tens of satellites on the same rocket was just unheard of, or at least was pushing the limits of, of the uh, of the technology. Today we've seen launch vehicle operators supporting the launch of tens or even hundreds of satellites, like the recent uh, SpaceX Transporter One mission. What are the the challenges though for a ground station service provider when you know you have several customers or, or satellites to support in specifically in the launch and early operations, the LEOP phase, who are on the same flight together? Well, there are there are a few challenges, <laughs> I would say. And well, the transporter one is a great is a great example. Uh, we supported uh, fourteen different satellites, most crowded launch so far. And uh, so, yeah, basically the the challenges is just, just that you know redshare launches are are great for the for the on the satellite operator perspective because they can have access to it at a really low price and. Right now, there are also some, you know, with all the Starlink missions, etc. There is more, much more flexibility in the orbit where you can get access to. On our side, what what is the issue is that basically these satellites get deployed kind of the same time. Okay, so when you look at a specific, you try to track a specific satellite. Actually, you're tracking multiple satellites at the same time, and so this can cause uh, interference between the satellites if there are uh, using the same kind of, of frequencies, but in general, for us, they can create conflicts in in the passes that we can or the contacts that we can allocate to specific missions. So these there are several solutions <laughs> to this fact. Uh, you can build more stations in a specific location, as we have in, in Europe, uh, for example. So with a with a station, you can track one satellite, and with another station, you can track another satellite on the same. Uh, but basically uh, point L is on the same uh, point in space. And or you can also use uh, an efficient scheduling system as we do. So as differently from the, the other government as a service provider, we don't let our customers actually book a specific pass over a specific station in a first-in, first-served mode, because in this way for Leop, it's, it's basically really, really hard to do because you can have, you know, one customer that comes first and just book all the capacity and then the other customer will not have anything left. What we do instead is taking the mission, what we call the mission constraints from our customers. So they decide how many passes per day they would like to have, their distribution in time, some other parameters. We took all of these and we ran through our scheduling algorithm that just output a 72 hours moving window schedule, optimized to try to provide the best and the most number of passes to all the customers in that launch. Of course, 
this function much better as more stations you have online, as more customers you, you have. Another thing that we that we've done, not on this launch, but on our launch before in November, is actually to track at the same time different objects. So it was four different satellites tracked by a single station and basically acquired the signal for the four of them at the same time. And in this way, we could, and this of course is done just for a single customer, so it was much easier to handle. But in this way, we were able to basically provide four passes in one and so get to the lower time of you know identification of the satellites and then commissioning of the satellites. That is basically the the outcome of the LEOP. So our role in this is try to make the the process as smooth as possible and as fast as possible so that our customer can start their operational life as as fast as possible and then you know start generating revenues. Interesting. So it's trying to find in those innovative solutions to problems which have only recently occurred as you know advances in other parts of the industry have um, have resulted in them so i think another area that we're seeing an increasing amount of interest in and possibly concern for is cybersecurity for for the assets and space just to, to touch on that quickly i wondered if you see cybersecurity becoming a core part of the service you offer to satellite operators. And maybe you could just mention briefly what sort of cybersecurity measures are of interest in the market and where that demand is coming from. Is that government or from the commercial side or both? Sure. Yeah, so the uh, there is much more cybersecurity, I would say, know-how or at least um, there, there are much more addressing of the cybersecurity issue. I believe that this is mainly driven by the fact that the small submissions, at least, are starting more to get commercial and in commercial operations instead of just you know technology demonstration or pure uh, academic. So, of course, when you are in commercial operation, your asset is generating much more valuable data, of course, than than just for tech demonstration, for example. And so the possibility uh, of, of, of a cyber attack are, are also increasing. And another point is that, you know, we have seen a proliferation of uh, propulsion in small satellites in general. And so when you have propulsion, of course, you need to be sure that you have solutions to not get uh, attacked by anyone that then can use your satellite to move it around and, you know, and then crash to another satellite, etc. So there is definitely an increase of interest in the, in the cybersecurity, fortunately. I believe that we are not yet there on having the same kind of structural guidelines or in general know-how that we have, for example, in the terrestrial <laughs> IT, IT sector. But definitely we are going in the right direction. There are also you know, new companies coming, uh, coming on in the satellite sector. You, you have published an article with, with SciSec. Uh, that is really one of the uh, of the leading providers in Europe, and actually there there is going to be um, a conference organized by SciSec and, and also us. It's called SciSat. So I believe it's the 17th of March. That basically the main topic is really cybersecurity in space, and will not just have you know people from the uh, from the space sector itself, but also people from the cybersecurity sector in general. And typically they are quite of a clashing, clashing words in some cases. Basically, what the uh, what our, our customers, at least, are, are looking for is really to secure 
at least the TTNC communication, and then of course also the payload communication, but it typically runs at different at different schemes. There are some demands, I will say, that are coming more for uh, a will to say yes, we we are cyber secure instead of really trying to address the the problem. So, you know, we uh, we heard a lot about encryption and and authentication, but this is just the uh, the tip of the iceberg, basically, of the solution that you need to put in place to to try to have a secure mission. I believe that with this increasing in the know-how, at least, and the and also in the the talks about cybersecurity, this will drive also a new kind of market for or HR market for cybersecurity in space. On our side, uh, we are addressing this uh, issue on on different levels. So, of course, there is one level on our our own operation and communication and orchestration of the network. So all the data that pass from our stations to our network cloud engine, that is basically our orchestration software in the cloud. All the data that is needed for operation is all under VPN or, or encrypted, and then all the keys are managed. Then there is another le- level that is really make the... Uh, the full communication from the satellite to the mission control software, mission control center of customers secure. And we address that in a way that basically we are act as a transparent pipeline. So the customer encrypts the data from their hand on the mission control software to the satellite and back without chain, exchanging any key with us. Okay. So we are basically applying a no trust approach to this. And I believe that's the only... <laughs> approach that can that can that is useful and can be actually used i think this increased focus on security cybersecurity, is going to be a key enabler of you know more complex and more advanced um solutions computing solutions in particular using space assets i think um, in one area we've seen you know huge interest in cloud solutions in in other industry sectors i wonder if you you had any insights on whether or how how widely cloud solutions had found traction with satellite operators? Yeah, it's definitely getting more and more traction. Also here, I believe it's more. It's also driven by the by the same factors that we say before. So timeline and budget. Building up your own mainframe or your own data center is something that you could have done a few years ago. Right now, it doesn't make sense. So if you are able to build up an infrastructure and deploy infrastructure on the cloud that is secure. With what you need to do, that's the way to that's the way to go. The the traction also is coming for the growing availability of you know AI ML services, so that all the data analytics providers that use satellites as sensors can actually use in a much in a much more efficient way. And also, cloud is starting you know to get in the middle. We have. One or so two of our main competitors are, of course, AWS with their ground station service and Azure Orbital that they are quite heavily used. Of course, their cloud solution because they see the ground station as a, as an input to their cloud. So they can make money on the, on the ground station. They can make money on the cloud processing. Uh, on our side, we are efficiently used cloud uh, cloud solutions for our NCE, so our network cloud engine, where we have everything that is handling the communication between the ground stations, the scheduling, and then the data transfer to the to the customers. But we're using it in an agnostic way. So we are not uh, actually tied to a, to a specific provider, and we do not ask our customers to actually go directly 
with, with that specific cloud provider just because we we try to be as flexible as possible because we want to you know attract the major part of the market of course but definitely and the, the good thing is that this is also enabling new uh, new applications you know and just to to have access to more to, di- to different services that typically were not envisioned by the space sector in general but are are used by the by the IT sector, for example, or by the telecommunications sector on the ground from years. Uh, this is really really good, of course. Presumably, these more advanced solutions, the applications that you've you've touched on there. I mean, one of the the limits is always going to be, or not limits, but one of the factors that need to be incorporated is the speed of data exchange. So, can you offer any you know insights on how quickly data could be potentially delivered to customers by satellite operators in the in the near future? You know, from the time when a request is placed to the actual delivery of the data for a specific area of interest, and talk in general or in specifics. I don't know. Sure. So there are two different latencies that come into play. Uh, well, actually, three latencies that <laughs> come into play in this. So one, of course, is you know. Uh, the time that intercore between us a uh, customer request on the, for example, satellite operator portal for an acquisition of a, of a particular image, then that request will basically get into a command that, that need to be sent to the to the satellite, and then depending on where the satellite is, worst case scenario is that you can you need to wait at least maybe ninety minutes to get that request or that task to the satellite. Then there is also, you know, the time that the satellite will pass through that specific region that needs to to image, and so that will take some time. But it can be if you have a constellation, this this part can be quite quite small. And then you have the time when the satellite, after have getting the the image, need to downlink to the to the ground, and so need to wait for another pass over ground station. Then once we have this pass, the data is downlinked to the ground station. Then on that part, we have the time that we need to transfer that data from the ground station to the actual endpoint or place where the customer actually do its own processing. Okay. Depending on the task, depending on the thing, it could be that you can get from, I would say, best case scenario, 35 minutes to worst case, it's a few, few hours or maybe a couple of days when you will have that image on, your, on the top of your, of your desk. So, but all depends on how you get access to the stations, how many satellites you have in orbit. So the best solution to have lower latency is to have as many satellites possible, as many stations mm-hmm. as possible, of course. There are then some uh, some tricks that you can have for, at least for the tasking of the satellite. So instead of you know using the, the ground station to uplink uh, that command, you can use, for example, a satellite-based network, so GlobalStar, Iridium, or or Orbcom, for example. So basically, the tasking gets to the satellite really in a, I would say, in a in a minute, and uh, and then in any case, you need to wait for for the satellite to get to over the ground station and downlink it. Or if you have a much bigger constellation that you can use inter-satellite link, basically, this reduces a lot. The latencies uh, that you have. There is one last latency that you need to take into account. That is not just you know that once we deliver the data to the customer, you directly have the image, but there is also the time of processing 
of that of that image and what kind of data you want to to take out from from that image. But this is typically quite quite low, and also using the cloud cloud solution, you can run up some uh, Kubernetes or Docker container, whatever, and so speed up quite a lot of the the, uh, the computing capacity, and then deliver data as soon as possible. So you've mentioned there a couple of different, well, several different areas of the market in which multiple players can can be involved with in one service or one mission. You know, you mentioned there were cloud service providers. There's the satellite communications networks. There's the different ground stations. Then the different portals that interface with the the customer. And in all of these areas, as the industry is growing and, and developing around the world, there's the ability to get more and more companies involved and essentially grow out this supply chain, the supply ecosystem. However, a key part of that is going to be interoperability. So I wonder whether there is any sort of movement towards more universal compatibility with ground service network providers like yourself and the radios used by different new space manufacturers in order to help you know, the satellite operators reduce the set of times and the costs um, that we've talked about. Well, there is something. Uh, I believe that we are not there yet. One of the things that I said typically is that the only no, the only way to be standard is to be flexible because there are really a lot of different implementations of standards in the space sector in general. So there is CCSDS, there is DVBS2, and then there are a bunch of uh, proprietary protocols, for example, that are that are being used you know, from, from the radios. Uh, what we are trying to do is really to try to be compatible as much as possible. So we, for example, right now we run a combination of SDR, so software-defined uh, radios, so we can uh, fastly configure to support different modulation schemes, encoding, etc., and also some high-end off-the-shelf, high-data rate receivers that can support a different modulation or at least different protocols. And then we can also add another layer of software processing after that. But as I said at the start, uh, the only way is to be to be flexible. I don't see right now maybe a universal compatibility with ground service network providers apart from the use, for example, CCSDS and DVBS2, because this is really depends a lot on the uh, on the ground segment uh, provider, basically. In that vein, then another area I think of um, satellite communication that's really that's evolving quite quickly, and we're even seeing you know, commercial off-the-shelf COTS uh, solutions come into the market in some areas for, for new space is um, optical communications. How do you see a company such as LeafSpace, which has mainly dealt with, you know, RF capabilities historically, making a, making a mark in this area? You know, we see ourselves at Leaf as ground segment provider, full stop. So whatever comes and is demanded by the, by the market, because we are quite a market-driven company, is something that we are that we are willing to to implement and to support. So right now we're seeing, yeah, as you said, more interest for, to optical communication, for example, but not just optical, also higher frequencies, etc. For different reasons. So what we are also doing today, we have an active project for optical communication, and we are building up our way into into this uh, into this market but always working as a, as a service provider. So we are not so much interested in the specific uh, terminal, optical terminal, for example, or the uh, high death rate, the modulator. We are interested in the network operation and service provision. 
in the specific for this project, what we are trying to, to put in place is a hybrid network between RF and optical, where we can seamlessly switch from optical to RF if we have issues, for example, due to weather or for, for other needs. And so use RF to both do the, uh, the direct-to-earth downlink or also retasking the satellite to downlink to another optical station half an orbit away or something like that. So uh, I believe, you know, this is our our vision to be our ground segment as a service provider. Doesn't matter which orbit, doesn't matter which kind of satellite, doesn't matter which kind of mean we are using to communicate with, with satellites or with space assets in general. Great. And I think, um, as you mentioned, you're uh, being such a market-driven company, that's the that's the way it needs to be approached. So I guess that leads into my my final question here, which is how do you see this market evolving in the next I don't know, you know, three to five years as a as a ground station operator. You know, are there any major trends you think maybe we haven't we've missed in this discussion, or or is there anything you're particularly excited about? I believe that we are seeing also this year quite a change in the new space market. So we are passing from technology demonstration mission to actual operations and the start of the deployment constellations, not only mega constellation but also the small satellite constellation, and this will drive quite a few changes. Uh, because of course, getting to operations, you will need a reliable and flexible service to also uh, support peak loads or demands and so on. So one of the trends that we see is really the adoption of uh, virtualization in general will be at level of the of the radio, for example, with software-defined radio or software-defined satellites in general. And on our side, we see them also, of course, on the radio itself, but in the way that we orchestrate uh, the network and where how you can move capacity from one station to the other in a seamless way, like it is done today in the cloud environment, for example, where you don't care which server or which data center also are you using, just care that the data is transferred and processed in the right way at the right time. So I believe we are moving much more there to push the focus really where where it is needed. So on the core business of our customers and the core business of our own. Then, of course, there is another trend, uh, technologically speaking, on higher frequencies uh, like K-band, uh, QV bands, but also, as you said, uh, optical communication. Uh, this will take, uh, yeah, I believe three, five years is, uh, is a good timeline uh, because, of course, we are seeing customer exploiting as much as possible lower frequencies like S-band and X-band, and then we'll expand to, to K-band. The only thing is in this market, you know, there are a lot of, as we say, a kind of PR on, on different <laughs> technologies. Uh, and then you can actually see what is really going forward, what is really uh, making some something different in the market and get, then, then get uh, used. And, uh, and then, of course, see also higher demand from the from the market thank you very much for your time today giovanni i think our listeners have really learned a lot about how the ground segment works for today's new space sector Uh, best of luck with everything moving forwards and thank you to our listeners today for spending time with us here on the space industry podcast if you liked what you heard today we'd love you to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you you most commonly use and even consider leaving us a little review 
And if you'd like to find out more about LeafSpace's ground segment solutions and expertise, please go to satsearch.com today and search for LeafSpace on the platform, or you can follow the links that we'll share in the show notes. On the platform, you'll find technical information, documents, and other details about the services LeafSpace offers. And you can also use our free request system to ask for more in-depth info or introductions to the company. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Space Industry by SatSearch. I hope you enjoyed today's story about one of the companies taking us into orbit. We'll be back soon with more in-depth, behind-the-scenes insights from private space businesses. In the meantime, you can go to setsearch.com for more information on the space industry today, or find us on social media if you have any questions or comments. To stay up to date, please subscribe to our weekly newsletter, and you can also get each podcast on demand on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Play Store, or whichever podcast service you typically use.